am in the Wellington Access Radio studio. This is B-Side Stories. And uh, I'm here with Catherine Healy, the National Coordinator of the New Zealand Prostitutes Collective. A quick word uh, before we start the interview that this episode is going to include talking about the existence of sex and sex workers in New Zealand. So the NZPC is a nonprofit organization run by sex workers that supports the rights, health, and well-being of people that work in the sex industry, and the NZPC is celebrating its 30th birthday this year. That's actually the same as me. (laughs) Catherine is here to talk to us about the organization. Thanks very much for joining us, Catherine. Thank you. So just give us a quick overview about what the work that the NZPC does. Well, for 30 years we've been connecting with sex workers and um, supporting them and us, ourselves, um, to have rights. Um, We work in a very practical way, so if you're thinking about being a sex worker, you would make contact with us and we'd talk about the reality of sex work. If you have difficulties, if you need to have uh, some problematic situations sorted, like it might be an issue that you're having with your boss or your brothel operator, it might be that um, you've had a broken condom, we supply services in relation to all of those kinds of issues. You can come into our community drop-in centres for no reason, just to say hello, or you can come in for a specific reason. And you've got those drop-in centres in multiple places around the country now? Auckland, Tauranga, Wellington, Christchurch, Dunedin, and we're also contactable online. And So you can call us up and have a chat. Yeah. Is it like a union where people need to have a membership or how does that how does the funding work? You belong if you're a sex worker. So you don't have to officially sign any document. You can call yourself anything you like. You don't have to tell us exactly who you are. So it's anonymized services and you can just call up, drop in. Now you were saying uh, you were saying just before the um, before we went on air that New Zealand has a very unique model uh, of decriminalized sex work in this country, and we're actually the subject of a lot of international research. Can you talk a bit about that and what people come to find out about the way that sex workers are treated in New Zealand? Well, in 1987, when we began, as you won't recall because you weren't born, but um, the Sex worker rights movement was underway all all across you know different different parts of the world. Sex workers were starting to organise, and in New Zealand we thought, oh my gosh, you know, what can we do? So one of the things that we looked at was the law was you know it was illegal for us to be uh, practically work as sex workers. So we could be arrested, um, our condoms could be counted, and contribute to a pattern of evidence. So we had. A serious situation with HIV, we needed to prevent it, and to prevent it we had to get together and organise. Um, so we created our organisation with you know, that kind of backdrop, and out of that came the push to change the legislation. In 2003, we repealed legislation such as brothel keeping. So today you can now operate a brothel, which means that sex workers can 
go into an indoor setting and work from there with a manager or an operator and have a contractual relationship. Um, We also repealed the legislation that said sex work on the street was outlawed. So before it used to mean that sex workers were periodically rounded up just around the corner from where the studio is and taken to court and then they'd come back out onto the street to make the money to pay the fine. Mm-hmm. So it was cyclic and counterproductive to you know safety and health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a very interesting model that respects the human rights of sex workers and protects them from exploitation. And believe it or not, we have a constant parade of researchers who are coming in from countries such as Canada, um, the Netherlands. Uh, Today we took someone from Sweden to the airport to examine what it is that New Zealand's doing so well in respect to sex work policy and law. And I think that's that's really interesting. We have what's called an integrative model. So we're trying to integrate sex workers, you know, to be a part of society, not apart from. Whereas countries like Sweden have what's called a repressive model. So they're trying to repress sex workers and, you know, anything associated with that sector. Um, Germany, for example, has a restrictive model. So they're trying to restrict put a lot of unnecessary restrictions in place, but New Zealand has this integrative model. And I guess, is the intention of those more restrictive models that they somehow eliminate sex work? As well, you know, often that is the intention. It sits under, you know, they're not comfortable with sex work and they're really trying to to get rid of it in, in some sort of way or some parts of sex work, you know, which usually means sex workers who are independently working for themselves either from their homes or apartments or street-based sex workers. Mm-hmm. Whereas in New Zealand, they're all treated equally Absolutely. under the law. That's right. You know, so that the intention of our law was to make sure that sex workers could report violence if they needed to. You know, they they weren't going to be cut off because they feared authorities. They were going to be integrated. And that's what's panned out in terms of the research that's been carried out in this country. We know that, for the most part, we have a piece of law and policy that's working well on the ground for sex workers. We haven't solved everything, of course. You know, we have issues in relation to migrant sex workers And we also know that we have a population of sex workers who are under the age of 18. Under the old law, they used to be arrested. Under this law, sex workers who are under the age of 18, the the intention is to protect them and find a way to support them so that they have many other options and not just limited to one option, which might well be sex work. There is a certain... A certain conception in, like, the broader public that people turn to sex work when they have no options, when they're desperate. Uh, You know, there's a certain image we have of what a person who does sex work, the situation that they might be in. And what's your experience of working with sex workers for so long? I think a lot of sex workers would say, look, you know, it suits me. 
And so the motive may well have been because they were looking for work, because they were experiencing underemployment, because they're wanting to get out of a situation that's kept them poor. So, you know, the, the, the motive for staying in sex work is somewhat interesting because, you know, sex workers will say, well, it's flexible. I can, you know, do a bit of study. I can do a bit of um, alternative work. I, you know, I can be a sex worker. Um, it suits me. So, you know, there's many reasons people become sex workers and there are many reasons people continue as sex workers and there are uh, 4% of sex workers who will say, look, I, I, I had no choice in this matter. I was coerced. There is, um, I think, some 10% will say, look, I'd, I'd love to do something else, anything but sex work. And there are others who say, I think about 25%, it's my job, it's it's work, it's what I do, and I'm perfectly happy, leave me, to to get on and do it, and don't try and rescue me, save me from saviours. Mm. So for those people who feel that they've been coerced or that they don't want to do sex work, what kind of a role does NZPC play in trying to help them? Absolutely. Um, you know, dedicated to supporting people if they want to leave sex work. So on a practical basis, you know, people have face issues of stigma and discrimination. So they're saying things like, well, you know, help me get out of sex work. And so we'd say, look, you have the right to avoid a stand-down period. Sure, it's sex work. Sure, it's recognised. But in the legislation, in the Prostitution Reform Act, it actually says that any sex worker who quits has the right to go to work and income and not be stood down like you would if you quit your job as a um, radio announcer. You know, you would be stood down and told that there is no support. So instantly there's support from that agency for sex workers so that the state can't be accused of compelling sex workers to stay in sex work. Mm -hmm. I I have a a question that sort of takes us back uh, before legalization in 2003. What was it like to run NZPC and try to organize sex workers when it wasn't even a legal industry? It was a very different world and we had to learn, you know, what it was we were allowed to do. And it was it was interesting, you know, informing the organisation. For a start, we had to stand up and say, here we are, we're the New Zealand Prostitutes Collective. And we didn't necessarily talk about ourselves as individuals, but we talked about the issues. And just the practicality of leasing buildings, you know, I remember we leased one up in Upper, Upper Cuba Street was our first one, and... I think we sort of drifted around the idea of, you know, we're here to help um, as opposed to saying, look, we're sex workers ourselves. So we, and with telecom, I remember we had to, you know, to get a phone listing, we had to spell the word, you know, I remember saying, look, we want to put New Zealand Prostitutes Collective in the telephone book. And we had to get a lawyer's letter, you know. And sometimes, even today, we run into that kind of idea. And people say, they haven't quite heard us. And they say, can you spell that? So you go, P R. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, our preferred word is sex worker. So, you know, we're NZPC slash sex workers collective. Mm. But we're also comfortable um, with 
the word prostitute. It's an old word, but it's, you know, as somebody said, a young sex worker, she said, oh, you know, that boat's sailed, you know, you can't use that word anymore. But a lot of, you know, organisations in our era still have the word stuck in, you know, the acronym, you know, be it um, the ECP and in the UK and uh, Scott Pep, which is an organisation up in Scotland, you know. So the P word is sort of sitting in a dormant way. We prefer sure. to be called the New Zealand Sex Worker Collective. Yeah, but I digress a lot. And sure. those early days, um, you know, we had HIV that we had to combat so we we knew we had to get on to it and we had to work with organizations like the police and say look if you're going to arrest us this is going to you know it's 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 calling out time if you like you know which is more important the health of sex workers and you know the prevention strategies in relation to HIV and AIDS or um arresting us for this mindless kind of um Crime, where yeah. you know you've got consenting adults. So it, uh, I read as well that Ministry of Health was very quick to partner with you in HIV prevention measures. Indeed, and they did that. And we, you know, in our very early days, we debated, you know, about you know that the nature of that relationship. We didn't want to be dumbed down. We didn't want our voice to be taken away. We wanted to do what mattered most to sex workers, which is talking about the reality of sex work, how to keep ourselves safe in that context. We didn't want to have, um, you know, kind of a sanitised. Um, program for sex workers. We wanted to have an engaging kind of approach so that, you know, sex workers could own it and be part of it and determine what was relevant. And, you know, all the elements that are, make a good, strong HIV prevention campaign were things that we've done, like, you know, the, the pulling people together, pulling sex workers together, having meaningful conversations, meaningful information that, you know, talks about how do you deal with a flaccid penis, you know, as a sex worker, <laughs> not just simply how do you roll a condom on. It had to, to be about how do you deal with a, you know, a boss who might be coercive and push you to do that one extra job when you don't want to. I mean, that's an HIV prevention strategy. Um, at, at its at its best, because if you can stand up to a boss, you're able to assert yourself in terms of you know safe practices, and that's all relevant, not just you know dumbing down prevention strategies to how you know to, to something simple like how to use a condom with water-based lubricant. Sure. What was it about you and? your background or motivation or skills that compelled you to get involved in organizing and made you an advocate? I think what really was it about the people I met, you know, as a 30-year-old teacher and I had answered an advert to pay off a visa bill and, you know, the advert was running in the daily papers, you know, and they still run, you know, that there's dollars, dollars, and so I naively stumped up to a massage parlour 
to answer the advert to become a receptionist and was hired. And that's indeed what I was. I was a receptionist, very naive. And then this whole other world opened up where I learned a lot from women who were working there in, in this massage parlour and they were really strident and uppity and... Um, you know, wanted an organisation and, you know, so we, we came together in, in a period where we had a lot of hostility, you know, like, you know there, were lot, there was lots being written about sex workers that, with no sex worker voice. That was extraordinary. Everyone was speaking about, you know, prostitutes with the potential to be vectors of disease at that time and before you were born, <laughs> 1987. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it made us mad and, you know, made us realise that we we had to do something. So, And the government, of course, at that time was mightily concerned about different populations. And um, so, you know, they, they were worried about men who have sex with men and they were worried about people who inject and use drugs and they were worried about sex workers and these three populations were identified and they had to work out a way to engage with them and you know it just coincided with us um, feeling that we were under great pressure and we had to organise ourselves so um, you know we went to a meeting and met shortly after our inception met with some officials and I remember that you know the, the you know the, the neon lights in this um, corridor in the Ministry of Health up there on Molesworth Street, and because we worked in dark environments, you know, very seductive dark environments. And I remember the blaze of you know the the neon lights in this day culture, and I was coming from a nighttime culture, not completely a nighttime culture, because sex workers back then as now also worked throughout the day. But, yeah, it was a fascinating period of time. Huh. And uh, looking back at the past three decades of sex work, not only has the law changed, but a lot of other things have changed, like technology. How has the industry changed over that time? I think it's, it's, it's... is really interesting. I think people have all these different mechanisms, ways to keep in touch and ways to work as well. Like, you know, back then, most of us were working inside a fixed premise. Most of us sat on a register um, where the police would document our names and monitor us as being part of the sort of criminal underworld. Um, today, you know, sex workers have... have you know, they have official status, so they don't sit on any database to be monitored. Um, and, you know, they can work for themselves or from home or they, they can advertise online. So there's a myriad of ways to communicate as well. And so you tend to get, like, we're an organisation that's a national organisation, and I want to acknowledge that there are lots of sex worker fora now, you know, sex workers are setting up their own Facebook groups and sharing information and lots of little wee um, ways, you know, where they're supporting each other as well as, you know, our macro sort of organisation. There's lots of micro things happening. And I mean, just recently, it was brilliant. 
in the Fringe Festival, there were five sex workers who stood on a stage, spoke about their sex work, and, uh, you know, I was just absolutely thrilled, you know, like, because I thought, you know, it, it takes a lot to mm. do that, and, you know, you can call a meeting, and you know, in any context, to call a meeting, to get five people to turn up to a meeting about anything is amazing. But, you know, <laughs> so to see these five sex workers standing there and silencing a crowd who were hanging off every word, that was just massive, and hats off. You yeah. know, that, that show in the Fringe, it was called Paying For It, an insider's guide to the sex industry in New Zealand. How did I miss that? Did you miss it? I no, I I heard all about it. Wow. And that they used that as a fundraiser for the NZPC and so many people I talked to about it said, What's the New Zealand Prostitutes Collective? I've never heard of that. They they weren't aware of your organization, so part of the reason why I was so uh interested to talk to you. And it also right. highlights the way that um people who work in the sex industry are also Artists, performers can tell captivating stories and have these other things going on in their lives that we might not know if we met them in another context that they also work in the sex industry. That's right. Now, um, what are some of the common misconceptions about sex workers, do you think? I think, you know, the idea that they're less than, that, you know, we don't, we're not... um, we're not as able and that we don't have as many choices, that we come from dysfunctional backgrounds. And I think, you know, that's heavily dumped on sex workers, you know, that sort of stereotype. And it is awkward because, you know, you know, there is no one kind of sex worker mm. with, you, you, you might be from all sorts of, situations you know your family may have been highly functional but dysfunctional you know it's it's really crazy when people sort of line up all these attributes that are negative and dump them all on a sex you know as a sex worker type um so that's one big you know misperception that sex workers are all this you know one size fits all um i think another misperception is that sex workers hate their work and that's not borne out either by research I mean it's true that you you will have a bad time sometimes and think oh and if you ask a sex worker what's a bad time you know to the to the person who's not a sex worker they'd assume it was something to do with coercion around sex and Violence, but to a sex worker, generally the common response will be, "Oh, it was slow. It was a slow day at work, and no clients came in, and I didn't make any money." So mm. that will be what some people will, you know, describe as a bad time. Sure, similar to any office worker who knows the boredom that comes from not having work to do. Mm. <laughs> now. Catherine, unfortunately, we have to draw to a close, but thank you very much for coming to talk to us. Uh, We're really uh, excited to get to share your stories and hopefully more people find out about the Prostitutes Collective and the work that NZPC does. Thank you.